Hi everyone and welcome. My name's Claire Muscat from UC Today, bringing you the latest news and conversation from the unified communications and collaboration industry. Today's chat is centered on how to survive and thrive in the new CX jungle. And to help me explore this topic, I'm joined by Jeremy Payne, Group VP of Marketing and Alliances at Eng House Interactive. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining me. How are you today? Yeah, really good, thanks. And thanks for the opportunity to chat to you today. Yeah, awesome to be here. So let's get straight in there. Uh, referring to the title of today's video, what does the CX jungle look like from your perspective? Is it as simple as trying to create the same experience remotely or is it something else? You know, I mean, I think most organisations, most people um, have just gone through so much change, um, you know, in the last six months, change that they never really foresaw coming. So I think if you look at the evolution of, you know, unified communications, customer experience, contact centre, AI bots, all of the things that we could and probably should talk about, they were on a trajectory and on a path of evolution that most people understood. Mm. Most people kind of recognized, yeah, we probably will need to move to the cloud at some point. Yeah, we will need to get some AI and some automation into this. Yes, we probably should improve social service, voice of the customer, all of these good things. Um, and then suddenly that wasn't really an option anymore. Five years worth of evolution has kind of got compressed into five months. <laughs> and I think what you see now is that most organizations are at or they're trying to probably have an inflection point which mm -hmm. is when this kind of all happened most organizations top priority was how do we keep the plane in the air how do we keep serving our customers how do we get our staff to kind of be able to work from home and that was about the aspiration it, mm -hmm. it probably wasn't too much more scientific than that um i mean we we literally i think we went into lockdown on something like monday the 24th of march it was something like that and on the thursday night before that monday when the lockdown came into effect we had a, a, a it wasn't even a customer it was a, a prospective customer phone us up and say all of our servers are in the office all of our contact center is sort of hardwired in our office we can't get into the office on monday can you help Mm. And, and we could and we spun them up a cloud instance over the weekend we trained them early on monday morning and at nine o'clock bang they were using their new cloud contact center mm. but you know i think what you'll start to see now is there's you know probably most people at that point myself included you know i moved into my office or my when i say office <laughs> the spare Lounge. bedroom upstairs oh. <laughs> yeah like most people mm. and um I, I really naively thought I'd been there about two weeks, four weeks max. Mm -hmm. So I'm sat kind of on this really awkward, uncomfortable chair, a tiny little kind of desk, and you think, don't worry, I'll be back in the office. What's apparent now? You, you look at, um, you know, the announcements uh, last week from Microsoft, the week before Amazon, the week before that Google, there's just a stream of organizations saying to their employees, you know, we're working in the office will become, mm -hmm. isn't going to be mandatory anymore it's an option, the office is going to get turned into a collaboration hub as opposed to a permanent desk yes. or that type of thing. So what I think you're going to start to see is this, this recalibration where people have kept the plane in the air, they've kind of stuck the Band-Aid or plaster on the, uh, on the injury, managed to get through the last few months, but in a way that is really not optimal. And it's not optimal on any level. It's, it's not optimal you know, really from a customer service perspective for, for many customers. It's definitely not optimal for 
you know lots of the agents or customer facing staff mm. and it's not optimal from a from an efficiency you know people process policy systems mm. all of that perspective as well so i think you know we're at that point where you know organizations are really going to start to probably the back end of this pull together a bit more of a strategy and a plan around 2021 what what do we need to do we've 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 done the survive bit mm. but now now what do we do <clears throat> um to thrive you know it's it's not going to be good enough through 21 to just survive you you're going to have to offer customers what you want and i think one of the other things you know to take a step back and think about is just like when the banking crisis happened um you know and money got tight and people were insecure about their jobs and their future and all the rest of it um you know when people are handling customer service inquiries it's really easy on these type of conversations where we talk about technology to get wrapped around, you know, we're unified communications, great for collaboration and the cloud's great for this and mm. all the rest of it. And it's really easy to lose sight of people and culture in the middle of that. Agreed. And actually, if you think about yourself as a customer service agent, um, you know, you're now sat potentially in a room on your own you could be dealing with a customer that's pretty emotionally stressed. So if you look at the number of things that have gone wrong, who, who don't you know this year who's had a holiday cancelled, a flight gone wrong, they're trying hey. to get them. <laughs> exactly. Everyone's got a version of that story. Yeah. And, you know, that's quite an emotional thing. You know, people are losing money. They didn't get the holiday they want. They need the money. So so a lot of the interactions and calls that, that you know, customer-facing staff are handling right now are fairly emotionally charged. You know, people are under pressure and stress. And, you know, when you think about how things were in a physical office, a supervisor could kind of overhear a phone call, could kind of sense somebody in their team was dealing with something that was pretty heavy going and they could camp onto that call and listen and interject or help out or read the body language. You know, I mean, 80% of communication is nonverbal. All of that's kind of got shrunk away. So it's real easy for people to end up a little bit isolated. And so I think smart organizations are going to come up with a strategy around the technology. They're going to come up with a strategy around people and process. But they're also going to really start to think about how do we manage and, and support our staff moving forward? Because that really feels like the thing that's, you know, in this survive phase, that's the thing that's ended up on the bottom of the shopping list. Mm. Um, and that's not going to be sustainable. Yeah, I agree with you. I think um, kind of being a non-technical person, but as a CX professional, I think what I'm seeing is that the things that have been switched on were somewhere on a digital roadmap in a couple of years time, but we haven't had the time to design what that experience needed to look like. So the technology could be switched on, but all the other parts, as you rightly pointed out, in terms of people and processed, didn't kind of, weren't designed to be that way but in terms of working from home do you think there are any good opportunities that the world's been presented with with people being forced to stay at home and work yeah I mean there's loads of there's loads of benefits for everyone mm -hmm. um you know I think the benefits for the employee or the agent are you're not wasting an hour two hours a day commuting to a place of work that's two hours a day that you could be earning money mm -hmm. um so that's kind of great that the flexibility that people have got, you know, to balance and manage their home life is probably in one way improved. 
but it's like everything when you talk about a positive it's like the yin and yang of life there's (laughs) there's always a negative and and it's Mm -hmm. like yeah you've got that flexibility but then I suspect if you talk to almost anyone in any job right now and you Mm -hmm. said how do you feel about the demarcation of your work day finishing and your home home life starting and the whole thing's kind of ended up blurred Mm -hmm. um and, and and I suspect for some people, you know, customer facing people, you know, they they kind of go to bed thinking about that last phone call or that customer that complained and was a bit assertive with them mm. during that course of that day. Mm. So um yeah, there's there's definitely, you know, I mean for the organization, massive cost saving. They're sat now thinking, do we really need this big office anymore? Yeah. So so huge fixed cost saving there. Mm. Um I actually think as you extrapolate and play this story out and think about what the future could look like for the customer, mm. there will be benefits because as you start to layer in, you know, AI automation, self-service, social services, social service customers helping each other mm. through user forums or YouTube or whatever else. Mm. Um, I think what you're going to find is that organizations then move to a different skill set within the contact center or the customer facing team. So you'll see distinct skills appear. So somebody that's got really good technical skills on the product or service that's being offered. You've got somebody that's got great negotiation skills. So for we talked about the travel industry and mm-hmm. you know, they are they're not one size fits all problems. That doesn't go through a straight through process. The fact you missed a flight, you may have had a hotel at the end, someone else didn't have a hotel, someone else missed a connecting flight. So, you know, you need somebody that that's empowered. So that's the policy piece of the equation mm-hmm. empowered to make decisions that are right for the customer and the business. So I think you're going to see different level skill sets. And I think when you think about unified communications and collaboration environments, say you know, Microsoft teams or Slack, that type of environment, the ability to pull in for an organization to pull in specialized skills as and when they need it. So if we think about, you know, you're the holiday company and you've got people kind of, you know, in a, in a, in a litigious situation, they're about to sue you because they're not going to, you know, they're not getting their money back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most, most small businesses or kind of travel agency type people haven't got the money to have a full-time lawyer. Um, but there may be somebody out there who's just specialized in travel law, dealing with, you know, passengers and, and travelers that have had an issue and is, and knows what they're doing in terms of that particular space. And, you know, you see in collaboration environments allow you to pull that person into the dialogue and solve a problem really quickly and then back out. So so this kind of idea of, you know, the gig economy and, you know, specialized skills where people that that specialized skill set, you know, may well work for five different travel companies rather than be an employee of one. Mm-hmm. So there's real there's, there's real upsides, you know, to this. Um, as I said, I think the pace of change that's happened in the last five, six months is the equivalent to the last, you know, preceding yeah. five years. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think it's really interesting that you're talking about people throughout this. It isn't about the technology. It's about how we can empower humans to do their jobs in a different way. Um, obviously pointing out that there are positives to staying at home and not having to commute anywhere, but there are lots of 
mental health challenges and general kind of leadership and cultural challenges. I'm just really intrigued about um, the businesses that are managing to adapt and not just survive, but are going to go on to thrive. What does that culture need to look like and how much of it is really a barrier to providing great customer experience that's high quality consistently? I mean, if you had to distill it down to one word, that one word would be trust. Yes. So if you go back to you know the, the 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 kind of classic image of the old contact center it looks a bit a bit like a victorian version of a contact center if there's <laughs> such a thing which is like that big open plan office mm. everyone's sat at a tiny little desk um everyone's wearing the same headset everyone's given the same thing everyone's given a script or a pro- ex- you know, absolutely rigid process to follow you're not allowed to deviate even if you feel really sorry for the customer you can't mm-hmm. you know you stick to this script and this process and don't give them a refund or whatever else um and it's almost like a battery farm you know where where humans are chickens and they're just following you know a, a set process if you look at the evolution of of ai uh, internet of things machine to machine all of that kind of stuff that easy stuff the routine stuff can be done you know by by either through automation um you know or computer to computer machine to machine mm-hmm. or it can be done through self or social service most people don't want to get on a phone and queue to speak to someone if they can solve it themselves they will mm-hmm. so the stuff that's left is is kind of you know that that more complex awkward ugly tricky stuff that mainly two or three people to fix the problem and if you think about the profile of those people by definition, if they have the ability, the emotional skill set and the intelligent skill set to be able to solve those kind of problems, they're not going to be people that want to be micromanaged and held absolutely rigidly to a script. And that's not the right thing for the company. But if you look at the history of where, you know, a lot of customer facing contact center type teams came from, you know, there's software out there to ensure adherence that you're making a certain number of calls per day, that your average handle time doesn't go beyond two or three minutes it's not really about solving the problem it's about doing your 50 calls today all of those sort of numeric measurements that are real easy for a software company to do that can be done standing on its head mm-hmm. the difficult part um and i actually remember you know a presentation you did i think probably three years <laughs> ago where you had a, a slide that looked at, like an iceberg yeah. and and the piece above the sea is is that bit the bit that software companies love to measure, mm-hmm. you know, how many calls did you do today? How long did each call take? What's the average time of the call? How many did you fix it? How many abandoned calls were there? Real easy to measure. But what, what's the harder part is how did the customer feel? Mm-hmm. Would they come back? What's their net promoter score? All of that stuff. How did the employee feel? The soft measurements when you're listening in on that call is somebody talking too fast? Probably like I am right now. Is somebody, <laughs> yeah, is somebody, you know, kind of sounding stressed and, you know, that type of stuff as people using the wrong language, all, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that, that dichotomy now for, for an organization that has had historically that culture of, you know, the supervisor walking up and down to make sure you haven't left your desk yeah. and gone outside to smoke or get an extra <laughs> coffee. They can't do that anymore. And and now you're at that decision point. Do you install a piece of software on somebody's laptop that, that you know, has got the camera running on them all day, every day, so you're visually looking at them? Okay. And it's that, that sort of, you know, kind of nightmare future of where the machines took over. 
Or do you empower people and give them the trust to do the right thing, put some safeguards in place, mm. but basically empower people to do the good thing? Mm. And it, of course, again, no one size fits all. Depends what product you're offering, what the risk is to the company, value of the customers that you're dealing with. But I think that cultural piece is where you're really going to see lots of the gnashing of teeth and arm wrestling going on. The technology piece is not, not going to be the hard part of the problem to solve. Yeah, that's such a, a visceral image, imagining like the battery farm of contact centers. And also like, yeah, it is the worst nightmare, isn't it? If we just digitize the role of a supervisor, maybe through AI in the future, for the employee, that's going to be even worse than the battery farm, isn't it? Well, it, it is. But then I think another way of looking at it is to say, it's a bit like, you know, when we had humans basically acting as a human telephony switch. Yeah. So where it was, you know, like you'd phone someone up and <laughs> I need to speak to sales. So they effectively press one for sales. I need to speak to support. They press two for support. We had a human doing that. You know, now that job's, you know, done by, you know, automation and self-service. Mm. Um, Sorry, I think, so I, I, I think I'm, I might have confused you there. I, I totally for automation and self-service. It was just the image that you presented of yeah. how that might feel. And actually, um, when when what's needed is to remember the, the human element. And, and for me, that empowerment and trust are the most important things. And as you said, yeah. those command and control organizations that have traditionally already always operated with the looking yeah. over the shoulder. Yeah. It, it, you know, just just digitizing that isn't going to work. What we need to do is actually change the culture, embrace the and use technology in the right place for the customer and the employee. But yeah. <laughs> don't just yeah. change it. No, no, you're absolutely right. And it's like one of those things, if you if you don't do the groundwork and get you know, the people policy process piece and yes. the culture piece, right? All you're going to do is digitize yeah. the, problem the problem that you physically yeah. add. Yeah. You're and just going to virtualize it. Yeah. And that leads me perfectly onto the next question, because as a CX designer, uh, I believe the answer is being able to calculate the right people, process, proposition, technology, uh, mix through design. But I'd love to hear from you what your digital by design approach means and what kind of um, sustainable wins is it going to create for the market yeah so it, 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 you would be amazed at the amount of people <clears throat> that um, just want to buy a piece of software yeah. and and we're a software company so you'd figure well that's great news but it's not great news to sell someone a piece of software and then they find six 12 months later it's not done what they wanted it to do mm -hmm. and I mean we literally have people phoning us up saying can I buy some AI um like that will solve their problem and um you know actually when you kind of peel it back and and start to ask the questions you know what's what's the job description for the for the bot what's it going to do if you were employing a human what would you do in terms of recruiting them what would you do in terms of training them and onboarding them how are you going to measure and monitor them what does success and could look like all of those things none of that thinking has been done and it's exactly the same thing when you know, we talk about digital by design. You can't do everything at once. But actually, when you stop and talk to most organizations, that Pareto rule, 2080 rule, sits almost true to everyone that, that we speak to. Mm -hmm. So there's 20% of their customer journeys that drive 80% of the cost, 20% mm -hmm. of the journeys drive 80% of the revenue, mm -hmm. and 20% of the journeys drive most of the regulatory risk. So if you understand, okay, what are my top three journeys that that, that create bring the money into the company well let's start there and really think about that break that journey down 
Who are we dealing with? What's the profile of the customer? What channels are they primarily trying to interact with us on? And is that the right channel for them to interact with us through? For example, somebody using a chatbot to start a new mortgage is, you know, it might be great to start the conversation, but you're never going to be able to finish it doing that for, for regulatory reasons. So it's not really the ideal channel. So once you start to piece together, we know these are what our key and most important, you know, journeys are. These are the profiles of the customers that we're predominantly dealing with. These are the channels that our customers feel comfortable and want to use. These are the channels that make most sense for us as a business to use. Now we can, we've got the basics of the jigsaw puzzle to start to automate and, and optimize that journey to say, where should we use automation and AI and bots and, and you know, speed the, the, the steps mm. through a bit like moving around a monopoly board. Can we save five steps on the board by just having a bot or an AI or a machine mm. do that in the background? At which point should we introduce self-service and, uh, and empower and allow the customer to self-serve? How do we learn and optimize from the experience that we're offering where we've made mistakes mm. so that we, we can put that out there through social service, social media, so that customers again can self-serve and not need to interact with us unnecessarily. Mm. And at the point that they do interact with us, how do we pull all of the information together about who they are, what they're trying to do, what people we have available? So this is like the UC piece, mm. who's available within our uh, organization and our ecosystem of you know gig economy people that we could pull in right now to help this customer solve their problem. When you come back, what does the customer want? The customer wants the fastest journey time possible with the least investment of their time and effort to get the outcome they want. Mm -hmm. We're all human, you know, we're all the same. So if you start with that end in mind, and, and I often reference Amazon as an example. So if you go on Amazon's website, in the background, they've used like, bang, they know who you are, they know what you bought last time, they know the profile of who you are and what people just like you bought last time they bought the product that you've just bought. Mm -hmm. So they're able to make intelligent recommendation decisions. Mm -hmm. And again, if you ask yourself, when's the last time you called Amazon about a, a problem? <laughs> Never. You think, about, <laughs> you think about the millions and billions of things they're selling right now worldwide, all of those potential customer service you know, flashpoints have been mitigated by really well-conceived and thought-out customer journeys that leverage technology where appropriate. And that's the piece. Most you know, most people, when they start out, don't want to sit in a room with the whiteboard and start to map the journey out and think about how do we get what we want. It's much easier just to get a checkbook out, write a check, and hope it's going to solve the problem. Yeah, I, I see it all the time. Um, and I've been recently talking about problems over solutions. So rather than like treating a solution like a bit of a spanner, you can walk around and see what you can fix with it. How well do you really understand for your customers and employees exactly that? You know, what are their priorities? What are the priority journeys? How do you like target the right um solution to the whole experience not just part of the problem and usually it's cost saving right that's the main bus um, yeah. business challenge that people are trying to solve not actually genuinely solving problems for people um yeah. and it's really great to hear a technology company talking about design as uh, i think that the only bit i'd really add to what you said was you know if you're designing a journey design the target experience first mm. that will help you to 
calculate what all the right solutions and parts from people processing technology are but think about it like that the target experience you want to deliver for your people your customers and your employees and just spending that little bit of time in discovery at the start to really understand and do that is going to yield exponential results isn't it so it's great really great to hear that really good to hear that um so my last question really is just about um unified collaboration and cx platforms have been increasingly colliding um has the panic uh, panic panic has the pandemic increased this merging of technology and is the combination driving the right efficiencies for customer resolution and experience are we seeing an actual real benefits or is technology not quite there yet in terms of leveraging customer loyalties it's still more around the people and design piece yeah so i mean i think if you look at you know collaboration environments and obviously we work very closely with microsoft teams and you know lots of our contact center and customer service technologies are heavily integrated with with Microsoft Teams but when you um when you look at where do those where do those platforms really work quite well mm-hmm. the last 6 months have have accelerated the adoption of it because where you may have been sat in an open plan office and you could just lean over the the, the dividing wall between your desk and your your colleague's desk and have a quick chat and solve mm-hmm. something you can't physically lean over that desk anymore. Yeah. You've got to do it in a virtual environment. So, so in a way, that is that sort of kind of virtual office where you can get you know a few people jump on a jump on a call, start the dialogue with instant message. Are you around? Great. I need to chat to you about this. Okay, let's jump in. We can share files. We can leverage you know existing assets and all of that. So, so great for that. Then, when we think about um, you know a customer facing environment. We, we, you know, where we talked about, you know, leveraging these networked individuals, what, what we would call inside Enterhouse, the, the connected enterprise, leveraging people in the middle and back office, people mm. that have the deeper skills to solve a more complex problem. We talked about people in your ecosystem outside of your organization that have the, you know, the negotiation skills, if you're the travel agent mm. example. Mm. How can we pull those people together quickly into a common place where we can share a single source of truth, which it could be just a Word document or the letter that the customers complained with or their legal file or whatever else. But we've got all of the stuff in one place. We can have a collaborative conversation and hopefully fix that customer's problem quicker. Mm-hmm. So they're the two, they're the they're the two areas where, you know, it, it, it's it's really kind of come into its mm-hmm. own. Nice. Um, but I think if we're completely honest right now, it's an it's a it's an immature technology that's maturing. Mm. Like most things, there's it's moved a huge amount in probably the last three years. And yeah. um, what is possible now compared to three years ago is incredible. But is it the finished product and is it really doing what it should be doing? Mm. You know, no. Mm. Um, just like it, it's a little bit like I think if you look at collaboration environments and you think about those companies that that offer like self-storage you know you move house and Mm. i've got this stuff i'll just stick it in one of these self-storage kind of places for for a month you know and you you take over like a little small cupboard and you think that'll do and then you realize you've got to go back and sort it out but actually it's quite easy just to pay another 20 quid Mm -hmm. for next month and you'll do that in the summer holiday when you've got time by the summer holiday you've got more rubbish you need a bigger (laughs) kind of space and actually when you look at lots of these collaboration environments you know People don't want to spend their time clearing up, you know, the life laundry and the rubbish. And it's exactly the same thing that all of this digital world, all of the digital customer service 
is underpinned by the quality of the data and the information mm. that, that you're accessing. And if you're filling up folder after folder and file after file with redundant, old, mm. out-of-date mm. data, mm. you know, if you're not careful in a year's time, three years' time, you're going to be wasting time fanning through folders trying to find the most up-to-date <laughs> version of a Word document because you didn't have the right version control in place. It so, happens to be all the time. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think... <laughs> You know, it's it's great for collaboration environment companies because just like the the, the lock and stores type self storage type company people, you know, it's a great business, isn't it? You're selling space, so you know they're they're, they're more than happy for that to happen. Mm. But it's not necessarily optimal for for the business because ultimately it will start to consume time and, and slow down efficiency. Get you, get you. Cool. It's been so awesome to talk to you today. I feel like I've learned loads. I guess my main reflection is about actually finding your way through the CX jungle now. And as you've rightly pointed out, it's all about culture and thinking about the design of that map that will help you find your way <laughs> through the CX jungle from um, surviving to thriving. So thanks so much for your, for your time today. Just uh, one last question. Where can people go to find more about Enchouse? So, I mean, if they visit enchouseinteractive.co.uk, uh, important to put the .co.uk on there because um, we're a sort of geographic business. So all of the all of the stuff on the UK website is is going to be really relevant to um, to this audience. Um, so that's probably the best place um, to start because it's it's got all of the information and assets about what we do and how we do it. Great stuff. Well, that's it from us. And thank you so much to Jeremy for being here today. And if you did enjoy the show, please do drop us a like and share on social media. We always appreciate it. Thanks ever so much. You take care now, Jeremy. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>